Good morning, church. Good morning. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 15. Gospel of John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. Let me just read this over to you if you don't have that. I am the true vine, Jesus said. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear even more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. So I encourage you, abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. God amazes me. (laughs) There are some Sundays when I feel like um, he calls me to teach in this time of our, our service. To explain, sometimes to encourage you about a specific text. And then there's other Sundays when I feel like really what he's led me here to do is just simply to testify. To point you to something that God has done or to point you to who he is and together we just stand in awe and collectively say, wow. This Sunday's the latter. I'm thrilled to say that our elders are united in the belief that God is calling the Kerrville Church of Christ to a mission that with his help is absolutely possible. And that is to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. That's our mission. We began unpacking the first half of that mission statement last week, trying to examine what it means specifically to lead ordinary people. When God decided to show out. Now you may not have witnessed it, but I'm going to try to bring it to your attention today because it was such an encouragement to me. I just finished talking about the incredible number of ordinary people that God seems to have deposited all over this globe. So much so that when he came to earth personally, he chose to come in a very, very ordinary way. And he lived such an ordinary lifestyle that almost 90% of his life we don't know anything about. For one simple reason. (laughs) He's just ordinary. He was an ordinary baby, raised by ordinary parents in an ordinary town. He attended an ordinary synagogue, working with his dad as an ordinary carpenter. However, he did all of that, the Bible says, without ever committing a sin. And those of us who've tried our lives not to do that know how difficult that is and how extraordinary that is. And because of that accomplishment, Scripture goes on to tell us, Jesus was able then to be our sin sacrifice on this cross that we just got through singing about a few moments ago. On this cross, it's it's the focus of, of our attention during this mission presentation. Not just today, but all throughout this series. Because it was there that somehow or another, in God's sovereignty and in His loving kindness, He made it possible for Jesus and us to make a trade. His sin, His righteousness for our sin. So that we might be able to move into a relationship with God that was broken because of the rebelliousness and the arrogance of our sin. 
Now, I want to remind you that before Jesus did that, he spent three years with 12 very ordinary men. Intentionally, he was pouring his life into those three ordinary, those 12 ordinary men. And when he was resurrected, he hoped when he gave them a mission that they would say yes like God is hoping that we will say yes. And to take the extraordinary news of what God did on that cross and in the empty tomb to every ordinary person who would listen to it. Now we're getting to the point where God showed out last week. When we were finished, a young lady by the name of Madi Hernandez walked down front. And she said, count me in on that. And she made it clear she didn't want me baptizing her, which really made me mad. It really didn't. But she made it clear she wanted Gary Stork to baptize her. Would that be okay? And I said, only if he shaves his beard. Do I get any votes on that? No. No, no, no. We love Gary. Beard and all. But Madi wanted Gary to baptize her. And I had to start smiling when I heard about that. Because I think some of us in this room truly are convinced we don't matter to this mission of Jesus thing. We're too ordinary. <laughs> and God allows us to see how the influence of an ordinary guy on an ordinary girl led her into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus Christ. If you pay any attention at all to what goes on down here in the front when services are over, you can't miss Gary mingling with Mary and the Hernandez family and John Paul and all the kids. They, Gary has a very special relationship with that family. And so have many of you. But his is pretty unique. And so I thought it absolutely appropriate for when she said, I wanted to leave, went a very old life, but I want to leave this old life behind and I want to put on a new life in Jesus Christ. And she asked ordinary Gary to do it. When we were in the back celebrating after she had come up out of the water, he and I both were commenting about how, how fun it is to serve a God who gives us a visual example of the verbal truth that we had been talking about all morning long. And I don't know about you guys, but I love that about him. I love it. I love it when the not-so-obvious God makes himself so very obvious. And you know what the extraordinary thing is? He'd like to do that more if we would welcome him into all of our lives. To seek a true relationship with him and not just come and offer him some religious acts. And I know on some level that sounds a little bit absurd because we're talking about God Almighty here. We're talking about having a relationship with the infinite God, but I'm telling you, that's exactly what he's after. And you know what a relationship is. Let's see if I catch up on some slides here. Because you have relationships. At least I hope you do. I hope there's at least one person in your life who knows your name. I hope there's at least one person in your life who has a little bit of a background about your past experiences and your present circumstances. And when you walk into a room, they smile. When you walk into a room, it's more than just hair color that they know already or where you live or how old you are. They know you and you know them. That's a relationship. 
And they accept you as you are. They love you as you are. And when you hurt, they hurt. When you are are overjoyed about something, they're overjoyed about something. You know what a relationship is. And I hope every single one of us in here has at least one. If you don't, you can before you leave today. If you didn't know that God really does want a relationship with you. Now, you want to talk about extraordinary. This relationship would be. Because we're talking about the creator of the universe here. We're talking about, thank you, the one who invented the kiss. The one who invented the sunset, the Pacific Ocean, the inventor of the rainbow, DNA molecules, gravity, galaxies, the aardvark of all things. He invented it. Yeah, that guy. And you know what? From the very beginning of his word, he tries to make this point. I... Yeah, I, I like the, the aardvarks and I like, I like the Niagara Falls and I like the Grand Canyon stuff, but, but you know what I like most? I like you. It wasn't just Adam and Eve, just two arbitrary names. That's you there. You Adams in this room. You Eves in this room. God was trying to, to make it clear in his story of stories. This world wouldn't be the same without you. And I wanted, from the very beginning, a relationship so close we could walk and talk like we were just strolling through the garden, remember? Just like you would be walking down the Kerrville River Trail, just kicking back, talking about the weather, talking about what's going on at home and the kids and the dog. That's the kind of relationship at the very, very beginning God says, that was my paradise, that was my Eden. And I forget that sometimes. That God really wants a relationship with me. And I don't want to talk in the first person without telling you what I'm doing at first. But I I think he would say to you, can I just have one more opportunity this morning to remind you that before you were a you, I knew you. I saw you before any of this world was made. Not just before you were twinkling your mother's eyes, but before I'm telling you the world was made, I saw you and I had a plan for your life. And from the very beginning, like with Adam and Eve, I wanted with you a relationship that was heart-based, not ritual-based. And I'd like to, if you'll let me, talk to you about those abilities and, and specific traits that I wired just specifically in you so we can put those things to use to do some real good in this world. And I think maybe, just maybe, at least one person was brought here to hear those words. Because you just need one relationship that works. And I want to tell you this. This one works. And to say yes to that would be something extraordinary. Now, I think you know relationships. Maybe a few of you know extraordinary relationships. Now, I don't want you to shout it out or anything like this. But if, you've, if you don't mind, raise your hand if there is someone in your life that you went to high school with had lunch with, but had something more than just a a selfie with, okay? That's an extraordinary person. Anybody in here would recognize their name. If you've got one of those relationships, raise them up high. Okay. Too bad for the rest of you. But you kind of feel left out, don't you? And there's something powerful about having a relationship with someone whose name everybody would recognize. My son-in-law, Tyler. He's a, a trainer for the Texans, and right now he is the trainer specifically for the defensive line of the Texans. That means he's buddies with J.J. Watts. Oh, baby. 
Lord willing, October the 16th, we're supposed to go to a game, and I am really praying and encouraging my son-in-law to get me a selfie with J.J. Watts, all right? Would that be cool or not? It just would be. And, and you know what? It would make me feel a little extraordinary to get to do that, even just to spend a couple of moments with him. One of the reasons why, and I'm going to be honest with you this morning, that I, I moved from Ruidosa to San Antonio is because of an extraordinarily well-known person who wanted me to come, Max Lucado. What an honor to have the most prolific Christian author in all of history want you to be on their team and come be a part of what was going on there. And it took me about two seconds, and I said, yes, count us in. I'll check with my wife, but yes, count us in. And we moved there. And you know what? We didn't hang out. We didn't get to play golf. And I really wanted to do that. Matter of fact, I invited him several times, and we didn't get to do that. But we, we got to do some, some meetings together that were kind of, you know, we didn't really interact a lot. But then there were some lunches where we did. And then there was a lunch when I left Oak Hills where he tried to talk me into staying. Now, I'm not telling you that to go, oh, really? Wow, you must be somebody. But you know what? Those relationships make you feel like a somebody, doesn't it? It just does. There is a somebody who makes Max Lucado look like a nobody. And his name is Jehovah God. And he wants a relationship with you. And I so hope I don't mess this up this morning because that's the most important thing that I want you to hear. The creator of this universe wants a relationship with you. He's after more than just some ritual acts of worship that you give him. He wants your heart. He wants to know you mind and soul and body and strength. And I know that you've heard that before, but I want to remind you of it today. <laughs> it's him who wants a relationship with you. And you know what? Anybody that you would be listing this morning to try to, uh, and you would. I mean, let's be, you know, I had lunch with, went to high school with, I, I went camping with, and, and the name would come. A little power there, a little bit of, a, of an impression. But none of those folks have no beginning and no end. No, they have a beginning and an end. But this God that, who wants to have a relationship with you, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He wants to have a relationship with you. We think we can read minds and interpret motives. No, that's the, that's the next one. So let's just go to that one. We think we can read minds and interpret motives, especially the females among us. But it is God, First Chronicles 28, 9, who says, For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. And if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. We struggle with being kind to those who love us, don't we? Do you have trouble with that this week? God doesn't. The Lord is good to all. His mercies are greater than all of his works. Even his enemies he blesses. Psalms 145 and verse 9. We think we're pretty smart at times. We know some folks who are much smarter than we are. But here's what the scripture says about God. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Boy, my understanding does. My, my physical stamina does. My patience does, but with God there's no limits. 
the psalmist, or actually Isaiah piggybacks on this saying, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding, nobody can fathom. There's nobody that can touch this guy. Because he's not just a guy. He's God. And I forget that. <laughs> I forget it. That God wants a relationship with me. I need to be reminded of that. Someone who spends a lot of time with this word. Someone who spends a lot of time teaching that word. But I need to be reminded, God wants to be with me. What a power relationship. And let me say it again. He doesn't want just your holy ritual. He wants your holy heart. On the level of dependency and respect that Deuteronomy 32 and verse 11 attributes to a mother and her child. On what level? On the level of John 15, we just read a few moments ago, of that intensity of connection between a a branch and a vine. He's talking obviously here about uh, uh, grape clusters and how all that works. You can look out here to an oak tree, just how intense that, that branch is to that trunk would apply to John chapter 15. And God says, I want to be that close to you. He also says in Ephesians chapter 5, probably the most intense and the closest of all of his metaphors he uses in Scripture, you know how close I'm going to be to you? Like a husband is to his wife. That level of intimacy. That knowing that's there. Tom read it a few moments ago. And this is life that has no end. Knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. That just stuns me. It rocks my world. And I know what some of you are thinking. But I can't see him. How in the world do you have an extraordinary relationship with somebody you can't see? And he knew he would struggle with that. And if I can be honest, that is the part of my relationship with him that I do struggle with. Because I want to see him. But he says in John chapter 20 and verse 29, Because you have seen me, he says this to his disciples, You've believed, but blessed are those who've never seen me and yet believe. He confirms in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 18 that this relationship we're talking about this morning is by faith. It's not by sight. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't try to hide anything about it, make it something that it's not. No, it's by faith. It's not by sight. And that makes it difficult sometimes. But can I say this? Even though I struggle with it sometimes, my faith is not without base. It may be without a face, but it's not without base. And here's what I mean by that. Because he shows out all over the place. He does so, first of all, in his creation. The heavens shout his glory, and the skies proclaim the works of his hands. Have you seen the blood moon the last couple of nights? Oh, my goodness. Have you seen the sunsets the last couple of nights? Have you seen an aardvark lately? Well, they don't shout it so much, but... but, the heavens declare, I went outside the other night a couple of, before the sun gets going and, and I'm looking at, I think it was a little dipper. I don't know my stars very well, but I'm just going, even here in the city where there's lights all over the place, you're showing out, God. I don't, I don't see his face, but my faith is not without base because he's showing out everywhere. In the Big Dipper, the Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, All the things that I've just mentioned as far as the heavens and creation. And all of them to me shout. Intention. Intention by someone who's creative and so much bigger and higher and larger than you. 
Jeremiah would say this, Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing's too hard for you. Nothing. He makes himself known in his creation. But you know this. He makes himself most visible through his son. In Hebrews 1 and verse 1, the writer says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times. And he did so in various ways. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed to be heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. I see him when I see Jesus. But it's more than the creation of its world. It's more than just the sending of Jesus. I'm telling you, it's his continued involvement in my life that probably keeps me closer more than anything else. I shared a moment with you earlier about how God, to me, validated just what we're trying to do here at the Kerrville Church of Christ. Just one, one gathering, one faith family gathering and trying to praise Him and love on Him and be loved back by each other. He comes and He validates just the simple first half of our mission statement. Ordinary people. Loving on ordinary people and making a difference. I loved his validation, but I also loved, three weeks ago, his direction. I want to tell you about it. Art Leonard, one of our elders, came to me with this event that we're calling The Gathering. Not we're calling it, we're a part of it. It's called The Gathering. It's a simulcast that's going to be shot all over the nation. And I don't know if it's going to be all over the world, but I think it's pretty much our nation. Tony Evans, Max Lucado, Kay Arthur, Ann Graham Lotz, Greg Laurie, And about 20 other names we would all recognize as household spiritual names, spiritual leaders. He's calling them all together to pray for our nation, Tony Evans is, at his place. Now you heard it's going to be a two-hour event that's going to launch on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. We've got the sign out in front of our, our building as you pull into the parking lot there. It's going to be a prayer of repentance for personal sin. It's going to be a prayer for specifically the collective sin of the church and our, our division that we've put up with. And the derision that we've put up with far too long is a body of believers. And i got to tell you, after the event that we had last year that we called the gathering, I wasn't all that excited about it. And I'm just going to be honest. When, when Art told me about it, I went and looked online. I just, it just, to put it in our youth minister's words, I just wasn't feeling it. I'd already announced our Financial Peace University course was going to launch on that night. That meant I was going to have to move it. It meant um, giving some time that I needed for getting ready for the men's breakfast that's coming up October the 8th. Trying to unpack this mission statement, which has been hard to get my hands on at times. And I just felt overwhelmed about adding one more thing to the plate. So, to be honest, when they called an elders meeting to talk about whether we were going to do it or not, I was hoping they would say, no, Don't need to do that. It's Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, unless it's very laser-specific. People don't come anyway. But you know what our elders said? Yes, let's do that. And I was thrilled when they said, but it hinges on two things. Number one, can we get the technology ready? Because I'm not sure that we can. And I went, maybe, yeah, we can't get the technology ready. And it hinges on whether we can get uh, the advertising done. This was Monday we're having the meeting. All this had to be done by Thursday because I was speaking at the Ministerial Alliance luncheon where it would be the best opportunity to tell everybody about it. 
As soon as that meeting is over, I walk upstairs and Peggy tells me, yeah, Winstring says we can have the technology ready. She says, oh, by the way, I can have the flyers ready in a couple hours. Oh, great. <laughs> Elder said, yes, we got the technology. Can the flyers ready? Here we go. Can I just be honest? I do that sometimes. So my mind is in. I voted yes. I, as a matter of fact, if you ask the elders, I, I, yes, let's do that. But my heart wasn't in it. And then I went upstairs. And there on my desk, which I'd cleaned off because it was an elders meeting day and you never know when one's going to walk in. So I cleaned off my desk. And there in the middle of my desk, almost like it was placed there, was a letter. And it was from my, one of our members here. And I'm not going to mention their name. But I opened up the letter. And basically what it said in a nutshell was this. I'm sending this out to all the ministers in the community to hopefully call all of our churches to a time of prayer. She had photocopied a little devotional from her prayer journal that day. John Knox spent much time in prayer, it says, and the church in Scotland burst into new life. Wesley prayed long and often and the Methodist movement was born. Martin Luther prayed earnestly and the Reformation exploded across Europe. Why was prayer so important to these spiritual giants of the past? Because they knew they were up against almost overwhelming forces of spiritual opposition. God desires that we Christians be concerned and burdened for a lost world. God desires that kind of prayer. Then I read her letter. I'm concerned for my grandchildren and the world they live in every day. No morals are taught or especially shown on television. Our children are kept so busy with school activities that they have very little family time. Years ago, schools never had anything to do on Wednesday night because it was considered church night. And I truly believe in the power of prayer. I pray that you will help us all get started as a body of believers. Now, this grandma had no idea that the gathering was even boiling, was even on the, on the horizon. And I don't know how you hear that, but I heard it that day as, come on, Jim, I'm asking you to do this. And he had both my mind and my heart that day. And I love it when God does that. I love it that, that although I can't see his face, he still makes himself very, very visible. And I think he'd like to do it more if... He could convince us that a relationship with him not only is possible, but preferable than just these religious acts that sometimes we walk in here and offer him as a church service. There's nothing like it. Please don't take my word for it. Take God's. Because I'm going to share one last incident of how he showed out. <laughs> the first one was to kind of offer some validation for where we're heading as a church through our mission statement. The second one was some direction as I sought some wisdom and direction about whether we should be involved with this gathering or not. And then the last one was for some inspiration. I had a sister say, you know, I, I'd like to do something if it's possible this week, having no idea where we were going with this sermon. Anything that I would say about it. And she said, my fourth new birthday's coming up. And I want to share 
what this means to me with the church who's helped make possible four spiritual birthdays in my life. And I said, sure, Laura. Let me read the letter first, and then I'll read it to the church. Laura Carr writes, those who know me well know I like to make a big deal about things, especially Jesus. Tomorrow's my fourth anniversary of my baptism. And while it's something I celebrate every day, September 19th is a mark I can look back on for the rest of my life when I need a reminder of who I belong to. When the darkness of my past tries to creep back in, when I've done something wrong, I can think of this place in time when I pleased my father. No matter how long ago it's been, I can draw strength from this amazing moment when I made my faith official and put my trust in Jesus. When I came to the Kerrville Church of Christ in 2012, she writes, I was overflowing with excitement, but I was also carrying the weight of 27 years of addiction. All of my life, I felt a dreadful void that I tried to fill with so many things. From the time that I was 15, I used some kind of drug or alcohol on a daily basis trying to kill pain and be happy. It's how I existed. God bringing me here was the start of him bringing me back to life. I would not planned to be baptized on this particular day. It was spontaneous. I wanted to get my life back together somewhat, maybe be more clear-headed and sober, figure out how in the world I was going to change some things that would need changing in order to be a Christ follower. Love that. But after speaking with Greg, I realized that my time was right. This time was right. And then and there I buried my old life. It turned out I didn't need to know how to change or even what was next. I just kept trusting. I fixed my eyes on Jesus and everything miraculously started to fall into place. I believe in baptism. I believe Jesus can and wants to set us free if we'll only let him. I believe the time is always now. The importance I place on this is it's where Jesus invites your life into his and it's the beginning of the most amazing relationship that you will ever experience. It's a relationship that never leaves you empty. It is the moment you say to him, yes, and he leads you out of darkness and changes you from the inside out. I'd grown so tired of searching, so tired of searching for something to fill that void. Now I know that that void was where God always wanted to be. To love him and be loved by him. Living for God's like a dream, I'm telling you. And I didn't even know I had that dream. If the peace and joy that I feel in, this, in his presence is only a taste of what I have to look forward to, then, then whatever I have to go through, whatever that is, whatever I have to abstain from doing, that's nothing. In fact, it's a pleasure. He holds my heart in my hands, and I just want to give him my best because he, he gave me his. God's given me back a thousand times more than I left behind. And I need him more than anything this world can give me. God is my high now. I <laughs> love that. And the relief that I felt from confessing the things that I've done wrong in my life and knowing that I'm forgiven continues to bring me peace. I felt a weight of fear and dread lift that I didn't even realize I had. I, I kept it pushed down very well because I didn't care much if I even had another tomorrow. Now I care so much because I live for God and I don't worry too much about tomorrow because I know He's going to take care of that for me. 
He always has, and he's proven his faithfulness to me over and over again. And she ends by saying this. I just want to thank you, my church family, for all that you've done and still do for me. You welcomed me. You've consistently loved me despite the life that I've led. You've encouraged me. You've taught me. You've advised me. You comforted me. You employed me. You trusted me. You gave me a safe place to sleep. You listened to me whine with weariness and frustration at times. And through it all, you never gave up on me. So when I think of you, I think of Jesus. When I see you, I see Christ in you. You are my examples. And you've helped the Lord lead me into an extraordinary relationship with Him. And I'm here because my neighbors loved and prayed for me. And more and more I'm living my life to the full. Don't you love it when God does that kind of stuff? The elders are calling us to lead ordinary people into that kind of an extraordinary relationship with Jesus. That's our mission. Our mission steps are by loving God, loving our neighbor, and living life to the full. Now, I mentioned a while ago, I, I, I don't see a face, but I see a base all the time. Because of how he moves and acts in my life. And this is just one of three examples that have happened in the last couple of weeks. And I could give you two or three more easy ones. But you are one of those examples that helps me see Christ really did die. And God really did raise him from the dead because I see him doing that in you. Moving you from here, ordinary people, into an extraordinary relationship. I see him doing it in you. And Laura noticed also. But we've got some things to tighten down. We've got some things to batten up so that we do this better. We're doing some things good, but we can do some things great. And we'll be talking about some of those things in the future. But this is what God's calling us to, church. Because it just so matters. It just so matters. How do you respond? If it's you that would like a better relationship, we're out of time. Let me jump down here to the... uh, to two things very quickly. The first is seek. You've heard that before. Seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added unto you. You know what seek is. It's priority language and it's also passion language. You know how to seek something. You do. You know how to go after something with a passion. Think about what that is other than God. And you know what God would like to do? Just move that over and put him there. There you go. Seek Him with that same intensity. Seek Him with that same intentional purpose. Seek Him with that same passion. He'd love that. And you would love it too. And then the last one is sever. There's some things that you can't pursue Him as long as they're hanging on to you. You've got to cut them off and let them go. And He'll help you do that too. But you have to make the decision. Out with this and in with Him. And when you do, ordinary gets extraordinary pretty quick. Amen? Father in heaven, we love you. And as we sing this song, we really are asking, would you turn our hearts? If they're not turned towards you, would you help even through this song to turn them towards you? We want in on this relationship. We declare today we're not satisfied with just ritual acts. We want a relationship with you.
And if we've been kidding ourselves that we have one when we don't, would you help reveal that, please? And if we have one, would you just help fan that, maybe a pilot light into a brilliant flame? Because, Father, we, we know you deserve that. You don't need anything. But you deserve for what you've given for us to give you that type of intent and passion. And we're saying as a church, we want to give that to you. We want to be light in this world. We want to be salt in this world, just like you've called us to. We can't do it on our own. That's why we're, we're crying out to you, asking for you, please, would you come do this in us? We ask it humbly in Jesus' name. And Everybody said, if we can help you turn your heart towards him, please come to the front or come to the back while we stand and while we sing. Let's sing, church.